Welcome back to another episode of the Home with Havila podcast. We are so excited you're here. Today is a special episode where Havila is going to catch you up on everything happening in the Cunnington world, all the things with her teenage boys. She's going to share about her health, her life, and just some thoughts as we head towards the summertime. So tune in as Havila shares and catches you up on what's been happening the last couple weeks. Well, it has been a very interesting couple of weeks in the Cunnington household. It's interesting as like life goes on and your kids get older, how different things change. They, they change. And I, I mean, I remember having four littles and it was insane. <laughs> it was insane. If you've ever had littles, like four, three, four kids under the age of five together, there is a there is a chaos that is hard to describe. There is a mayhem. There is a life and death <laughs> moment every single day that you are facing with these little ones. And it is wild and fun and rewarding. They just love you. You're their person. But it's like a complicated relationship where they have a lot of needs and you want to meet all those needs. And once you meet those needs, the needs are the same needs the next day. And so it's fun and hysterical. I mean, toddlers are hysterical. My very favorite age is a three-year-old because they're getting out of that stage of being really needy and, you know, maybe a little clingy and a little reckless. And they become the little person that they're going to be really for the rest of their life. And now they have the verbiage to match everything that they've been doing. And it is hysterical. It's one of my favorite stages, ages three to four, even five. Oh, it's just my favorite. But anyway, I, that was a long time ago. So now we have a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And it is just so different. And all of you that know if you've lived with a preteen or you've lived with a teenager, it is so interesting. I meet a lot of people that say, oh, teens are my very favorite age. And others others that say, oh, not my favorite stage. I feel it's the same way with like having little kids. Like infants, infants are my very favorite. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I, I obsess over the infant stage. I might, the first year really the first three months are my very favorite with having a kid. I mean, I just love the fact that it's on a cycle. It's every three hours. I can meet all their needs. It's it's just rewarding. It's, yeah, it's just one of my favorites. So I have to be honest. I don't think that teenagehood is my very favorite. It's not, it's not something that I'm thinking, oh, finally we're here. Um, it has a lot of highs and lows and all within the same 24 hours. So at one minute, they're the kid that you raised and they are the kid that you're proud of and you're excited about their future. And in the exact same 24 hours, you have that same feeling of, what did I do wrong? <laughs> How do they not know this yet? Did I, am I completely, you know, messing up this whole thing? And so it's really funny. And then also having very distinct different personalities. So you have the, the eldest is very creative and 
and very into he's into the gym right now he kind of gets really stuck on one thing and obsesses over that thing and I love it I'm not like that and neither is my husband but I've seen people that are like that and I envy it because it's all or nothing and it's just I want to go to the gym I want protein drinks and I'm going to do that every single day and I just I love it I love it I love it um but also there's a um there's a high expectation and a critic that that personality lives with that I don't envy. And so you're constantly kind kind of trying to remind them that. And I say this to my, my uh, creative intense uh, introvert. I will tell him often, honey, your life is going to get, it's going to get better. You know, you're still at that age where you can't solve everything yet, but you will be able to get a job and do the things that are in your heart because you're a big dreamer. You have a lot of goals and some things are just, they get solved with age. Your brain's going to clear up and you're going to love your life. So I really do enjoy my eldest right now. It's fun. The 16 year old, I feel like he's kind of coming out of that awkward 15 year old stage. Um, and I can say that because I have a 15 year old that my 16 year old, and he's really 16 and a half. I can imagine that 17 and 18 are going to be more enjoyable. Um, my 15 year old is in that 15 year old stage and I'm talking about boy 15 year old stage. So if you have a girl, she probably showers regularly. She probably likes to shower. She probably likes to have conversations. Um, I, I tend to think that 15 year old boys are like 13 year old girls. So when my boys were 12, 13, even 14, it, I, I barely had hormones to deal with or any kind of significant change. The 14 and a half, 15 ish, 16, that to me is the stage, at least that I have felt with my boys is a little more complicated. Uh, they're a little bit more manic where they go from high to low within the same day. Uh, at one minute, they want to shower and shave and, you know, they want to clean their room, deep clean their room. And then the next minute, you're asking them when they showered last or they're arguing with you why it's important to throw the trash away in their room because of rodents or insects and how that would be ridiculous that I would expect um, anyone to throw their trash away. So I, I tend to have a lot of conversations that I have to try to respectfully have without saying, I cannot believe that we are spending 20 minutes talking about something that is really a legitimate thing. <laughs> like anyway, so, and again, I think having four boys, I think that there's no girls in the mix that kind of require there to be some domestication. I, I think having just boys and living in a very boy world, it is a bit like a locker room, you know, it's just, the guys aren't getting ready for each other and they're not thinking about each other in that way. And so they just don't really hold each other accountable to, you know, doing each other's hair, getting dressed. And I know that's truth because that's how my sister and I were, you know, we were the, we were the ones that were talking about, you should cut your hair like this, or why don't you try this on, or, you know, let's paint your room. And so we had a very different experience as teen girls versus teen boys. My 12 year old still at such a fun stage. He's getting a little more sassy. I'm noticing that he's getting a little bit more opinionated and quick and 
sharp and smart and he remembers things that I'm not remembering right now. And so that is to my detriment because he can hold me accountable to things that I just frankly don't remember. And that's really scary. Again, I had all my kids in my, almost all my kids in my thirties. So I'm not some spring chicken trying to, you know, do life. I, I constantly remind my husband, I think people were dying like a good hundred years ago at this age and we're still trying to raise four children. So I, I do give myself grace. And then of course my baby Beckham is just so fun and still really enjoyable. He's 10 years old. Um, it's really weird when you, your baby is at the stage where you think, I think it's time to shower or you're starting to kind of get that 11 year old, you know, outside experience and he's getting bigger. He's heavier. You know, he wants to sit on my lap, but I could only have that for a few minutes because it's like painful. <laughs> and That's not fun. So the whole thing has been very interesting with the boys and we are like, we're finishing up the year and I think everyone is just done, done with school, done with, done with all these stuff, the projects, all the things that need to get done. They are three out of four of them are playing sports, which, uh, two of them are excited about. The other one was not excited about, but I just think teen boys should be doing something physical, at least in my, in my opinion. And that's limited because I have no expertise. I have found that boys need to release the testosterone and get those good dopamine, dopamine endorphins happening in their, in their bodies. And so this particular child, when he works out, he's like a different kid. He's happy. He cleans his room. He has conversations. And when he doesn't work out, he hibernates and he sleeps and he's just not happy. So, um, anyway, that's been really, really good. So we're kind of on the downhill to that. We've got about five more weeks. And if you're a parent out there, you know what I'm talking about. We're just so close to the finish line. And the goal is just to get them across that finish line. Um, that at least in my life, that's what that looks like. And of course, thinking about summer, I don't know about you, but I kind of am tending to, I, I tend to pause on camps or summer experiences. And I think this is the COVID thing. I think COVID is catching up with me as a mother. And I just think, well, I don't want to plan anything because it might all get canceled. So I don't need to do anything yet. And summer is upon us. And I'm like, wow, it's time to time to sign those boys up for the things that they want to do and the things that will keep them a little busy during summer. I don't, I like a little bit of downtime. I'm not one of those moms that likes every week to be full. I actually really like kind of a low key couple weeks during the summer where we just get up at any time and you know, go to the lake and just have time together, um, and have their friends over. I think that that has been really important to them to have just community and all of that. So that is the boy world. That's where we're, how we're doing over there. And if you ask me, sometimes I'm doing great. Sometimes I'm nervous and anxious about it. Other times I'm exhausted. Other times I'm thinking, wow, I cannot believe I get to raise these amazing young men. And again, I feel all of that within a 24 hour period. So, so relax if that's where you are as a parent. So I am, I am a pretty smart, godly person and I'm still going through that. So there is nothing wrong with you. On another note, um, I'm 45 years old and I did not know what a significant difference 40 to 45 
the age difference would be as a woman. I am shocked. This is the transformation that I felt in my body when I hit 28 and again at 35 and now at 45, I am feeling such a significant difference in my body. I feel um, hormonal. Um, I know TMI. So if your husband's listening to this, I promise I'll keep it clean. Uh, I feel like hormonal and I, I I haven't felt this way since I was in high school. I just don't, I didn't have a lot of I wasn't a super hormonal person um, in my 20s and 30s. Of course, I I would have PMS, but nothing like this. This feels very emotional. And I would say that's how my hormones were in in high school, very emotional. Um, And my hormones tend to stop me from thinking clearly, from seeing the world clearly, um, you know, just from being more of a happy person. I'm in, in... general, I'm a pretty positive person. I, I pride myself in my resilience, but this year has been interesting and I definitely feel a difference in my body and in my, um, maybe hormones. And I'm doing everything I know how to do to help that process and doing a lot of research and ordering a lot of vitamins and all the things. But meanwhile, I have this thing that started in November and I'm not going to go through all the details because Even my mom doesn't want me to spend 20 minutes on this. Uh, But in November, I started having back pain. I was in um, Syracuse, Syracuse, New York, and I was just in excruciating pain in my back. And I remember thinking, you know, okay, I just need to get home. This is my last trip of the year. And then I'm just going to, you know, exercise and um, get some chiropractic work and massage and just do what I need to do. And it just got progressively worse until... Um, by the beginning of December, I woke up one morning and I had this pinched nerve. And I would like to say to all females and males, I've had four C-sections and I have never experienced the pain of nerve pain. It is just, maybe that's why they use the phrase unnerving (laughs) because that's exactly how it feels. It is unnerving. It is it just sends you to your knees. You just immediately go straight to your knees and you just go, I don't, I cannot do this. So I, um, really went into like my little military mode where I did my ibuprofen and my Tylenol when needed hot pack, ice pack. My friends brought me meals. We did everything from oils to electro, whatever that is, like some kind of machines that do the electric electro, um, uh, I don't even know what it's called. So forgive me. Um, so we did all this stuff and finally the week of Christmas. And if you've heard my podcast, you know, this, I started feeling like a human being again. And I, uh, slowly began to kind of recover and get back to myself. But I knew that there was a vulnerability there. Do you ever have that where you've hurt yourself and you know, Oh, there's something fragile about my back and my neck. And I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to be careful with it. And, you know, meanwhile, in October, I was writing my book. I was under a lot of stress. And so one of the methods that I was trying was exercise. So I was on my Peloton like 17 times in October, which may not seem like a lot to you, but that's a lot for me, plus walking and doing all the other stuff. And um, so by, by January, I started to kind of come out of it if you look at my pictures in like December, I just look like I'm in pain. I'm puffy and sad and just, yeah, not myself. 
and slowly began to walk myself out of it. And by February, I was feeling pretty good. I had, I was moving again. I was not in a lot of pain, but I was just being cautious with my body. And I sat through a couple meetings uh, in the middle of March and sitting through those meetings, I don't know what happened, but the next following day, I started having that pain in my neck again. Not the pinched nerve, but just pain, a tenderness and a pain. Fast forward, pain does not stop. I get steroid injections. I take steroids. Um, I do all the things. Finally get an MRI and the MRI comes back with a diagnosis of stenosis in my vertebrae. I want to say uh, four, five, and six, three, four, five, and six, I believe. And then also um, out my left C5, uh, there's like an opening at your spinal that goes down your, there's an opening that allows your nerve from your spinal cord to go down to your left hand and it allows movement. And obviously we need all of those things working and it just became so painful. So in January, I was seeing a physical therapist that increased in February. And by March, I was seeing her as much as possible, as much as she would take me while doing everything I knew how to do. This diagnosis um, has been really interesting. I think what's been interesting is putting it out there. I've noticed that a lot of people have had similar diagnosis and similar issues. And there's a lot of um, options, a lot of things that have worked for people that other people may say didn't work for them, or you have to do this, or you have to take this, or you've got to do it. This is the only way to solve that. And I know that comes from like empathy and grace and, you know, a desire to help. Um, but you also have this, or at least I feel this sobriety of, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And not that God's inflicting pain, but you know, when you go through suffering, you ask questions. That's just kind of what suffering does. And I think the first thing the Lord has really been talking to me about is taking care of myself. And I take care of myself in, in the ways of, I have really good boundaries. I watch my sleep patterns. I watch my eating habits. Um, in general, I do all of that. I move, I exercise, but I don't really um, have a real regimen of stretching and exercise that's like almost medical, like I have to do this. Um, I don't have that. And when I am in pain, I tend to eat terrible. Is anybody else like that? Like when I'm in pain, I'm like, okay, I donuts are the only thing that's going to solve this or whatever it is. Cause I'm not in pain that often. It tends to feel like it's sick day where I just need to just eat because I obviously can't get up and make anything and I don't know how to solve it. And I have a family of six that need to eat. So let's just figure this out. And so I tend to just try to solve it quickly and, um, and without a lot of, um, like vigilance for health. And so, um, that is something the Lord's been really talking to me about is getting a little more vigilant that I am going into my 46th year this year. And just the idea that I need to be thinking about longevity. Another serious thing for me is if my body goes down, my ministry goes down, my vocation goes down, my revenue goes down. 
And I don't buy into fear. I don't want that to be my narrative because God is my provider. He is my supplier. I trust him. He's always been good to me. But that reality that if I don't steward the the part that carries the presence of God, my temple, then I'm going to um, break some, you know, break the speed limit of life and I'm not going to have longevity. So I, that has been very, I think, eye-opening for me. I think I, I wish that was the thing that makes me want to just get in there and make it happen. The hardest part is that when you're in pain, you don't really feel like rising to the occasion. You don't feel like, you know, figuring it out. You just keep thinking, once I feel better, I'll figure it out. And so um, I remember in January, I talked to the Lord and I said, Lord, what is this year about? And he said, Havila, this is the year of asking for help. And I didn't know what he meant. I thought it meant like when, you know, wonder at Bethel and my leadership team and just asking for help for really strong female leaders to help me. I didn't know it would mean like asking someone to help me do my laundry or asking somebody to bring me a meal or asking somebody to let me stay at their house while I get treatment or whatever it is. I didn't know that's what it would be, but the Lord has been really clear and he gave me that word, which has given me, I think, more permission just to be in this space. So my my heart is good. I'm actually in Virginia. I'm driving to my event, my first event in um, end of April, beginning of May in Rich, in, I want to say Richmond, that's the wrong word. I'm going to get Harrisonburg. There it is. Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I'm speaking tonight and tomorrow and I feel good. I feel I've taken care of myself. I landed last night. I had a good night's sleep. I'm doing everything I know how to do to take care of myself. I did physical therapy for an hour yesterday. So I'm doing all the things right. Um, but something I've been really praying about and something I'm considering is not traveling for the months of June, July, and August, just taking off three months to recover and just give my body a chance to rest. And I've even considered maybe taking the month of July off for a sabbatical. I've never had a sabbatical in 27 years of ministry. And I know that, you know, in a career, people don't take sabbaticals and, and I get that. I don't, I don't, um, want to act like that's a normal thing. Um, I'm always amazed when leaders get to take sabbaticals and, um, you know, I just, I always think I love that they take the summer off or they take time off. That hasn't been something that I've been able to do, but Ben and I have been talking about just figuring out how to do that financially and just like being home for the month of July. So I don't know. I guess you guys could pray for me in that, in that world. Um, I'm on the road for the month of May. I'm excited to be on the road. A lot of these places that have scheduled me, I prayed about and um, believe I'm supposed to be there and I'm excited about it. And I know they'll take good care of me, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that's kind of where I am right now with the Cunnington household. Um, it's been a little bit wild and um, I, yeah, we're doing good overall. Um, I will say this, um, Yesterday, I finally took out my self-tanner. It was time to just get this, uh, this skin with another, another, uh, tone. <laughs> so, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of some self-tanner to make all your life feel a little bit more in control. 
Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you more about those if you're really interested in those. I've got my little trips and ticks and trips and tips is what I want to say. And, um, all those things, but yeah, that's it for now. I love you guys. I hope you're doing good. Um, thanks for all of your encouragement, DMs. Yeah. All those things. And if you like these kind of podcasts where I get to catch up with you, let me know that. We obviously want to only put things out that serve you and make sense for your world. So that's it. Uh, keep trekking. Keep keep on keeping on, you guys. I love you. And um, we'll catch up soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed getting a sneak peek behind the curtain into the Cunnington home. We always love and cherish these episodes. And if you have a favorite part, something that made you laugh, something that you related to, take a screenshot or a recording and post it on social media and tag us at Truth to Table. It helps get the word out. It also helps if you leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. We are so thankful for all your constant love and support. And make sure you come back next week. We have a really great, empowering Mother's Day series that we're going to launch starting next week. For the next three weeks, it's such a good one. You're going to want to stick around. We'll see you then.